Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to get back together uh, and get back in session uh, this semester and continue to study your word. We ask that you would grant us wisdom as we prepare for the times that we're in, and, and fill us with your Holy Spirit tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we've, we've done studying uh, spiritual warfare, but a lot of people, um, I think, have asked me as I'm traveling and stuff, um, what do we do with the coming craziness that's getting ready to hit our country, getting ready to hit the world? And how do, we be, how do we get prepared for that, and what do we do? And so I thought that um, I would de- develop a curriculum and teach it to you of actually how to prepare for, for, for anything that might come your way, whether it's a crisis, a trauma, bad things happening, new tribulations, and, and go from what does the Scripture say to do to prepare spiritually for what's coming, anything that might be coming. Um, because as you know, a lot of bad things are heading our way, and there's no way these things are going to stop. They're inevitable. And so um, it's not a matter of, of you know, I'm going to be able to stop the World Economic Forum, or I'm going to stop the digital currency, or I'm going to stop their, their stupidity in going green. Um, I just need to know how to deal with it. Now, you hear a lot from people talking about how to prepare physically for this, and what to do, and how to think about it, and navigate financially through things, and that's great, and you have to prepare physically. You also have to prepare mentally and emotionally. Now, to prepare you mentally and emotionally, you have to be prepared spiritually first. And then, so this is the foundation of how to be prepared. If you're spiritually prepared first, then you know how to prepare mentally, emotionally, and you will, it will dictate to you how you will prepare physically, okay? And so your spiritual preparedness helps in all those attitudes. What I hope to show you through this is to give you more discernment, to give you more awareness, to be able to give you the ability to connect dots better than, you, than you, we are right now. And because discernment will be a key factor in what's coming. Because if you can't discern, you'll be blinded by it. The other thing, too, is um, we have to ramp up our faith. And uh, I, I'm telling you right now, the faith that I have and that you have is not sufficient for what's coming. Okay? So I'm going to teach you how to increase your faith, how to grow your faith from what the scriptures say in the curriculum. Um, part of this too is uh, a study in wisdom. We'll talk a little bit about tonight, but one of the factors I'm going to delve into is how to, how to become more wiser according to scripture. And it's not as easy as you think. Uh, we're going to talk about it a little bit tonight. We're going to gloss over it tonight a little bit, but, um, wisdom is your key to survival, Biblical wisdom, godly wisdom, and how to ascertain that. Because here's the thing. You have to first know the truth, okay? And that's, that's paramount. That's content, and then you have to believe it, okay? 
Wisdom is a whole nother ball game. Wisdom means that I know the truth, but then I can apply it properly at the right time, at the right person, in the right sequence. Because if you apply truth out of order, you get chaos. So wisdom is a person who has the ability to apply the right amount of truth at the right time, in the right measure, in the right amount. And that's where we're going to take you. Because it, 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 it's just, you might say, well, I know, I know this is, is the truth, but then you misapply it. And then this application of truth um, like actually hurts people. Um, it actually does a lot of damage because there's no grace, there's no salt in it. There's, there's, um, it's too raw. It's very raw. And there are times to be raw, but if you do not know how to curtail, you know, packaging that truth with grace, salt, you know, seasoning, as Paul says, uh, you can actually do more damage than, than it's worth, uh, you saying anything at all. So we're going to walk through that today. So what I'm going to start with now is the quintessential starting point for how to spiritually prepare. And the quintessential starting point is what Paul told Timothy about what would happen in the last days. So I want to take you through that. Feel free to stop me. Feel free to answer any, uh, sorry, uh, question. Uh, just raise your hand and I'll, I'll get a mic to you for our online audience. And uh, we'll go through it. So this is what Paul tells Timothy before Paul is going to be executed. This is kind of the, his last words to his uh, his trainee, if you want to call it. Paul's the mentor, and, and Timothy, Timothy is the disciple of Paul. And this is what he's training him to do. So this is his last words to him. And so it comes in a, in a prediction about the times that you and I live in. So let's parse it out. Let's study it and as the, the starting point from where we go to be prepared for perilous times. But know this, that in the last days, perilous so perilous um, is halepo in, in Greek. As you can see, the Greek there is halepo. And the way you, you define halepo is it's hard to bear, troublesome, it's dangerous, it's difficult to cope with. The times are, are harsh, the times are fierce, and the times are savage. Okay? So that's all bound up in the Greek word, perlos, halepo. And the, the root is halepas. Okay, so what he is saying is that in, in the last days, now here's the thing, how, are we, how do we know we're in the last days? Well, first of all, Messiah gave us the sign that we're in the last days when he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, which is rabbinic uh, idiom for world war. World war has occurred World War I, World War II is the continuation, and so hence the sign of the last days has begun. Now, according to that last sign, um, the last days has begun, and then we should see birth pains. And we have seen birth pains, and we continue to see the birth pains as um, the world prepares itself for the tribulation. Okay, so based on that, when you bring it back to this text... We are in what Paul was discussing, okay? We technically are in it. 
You were not in it in the 1800s. You were not in the last days in the 1500s or the thousands or 900 AD. We are now technically in the last days, so it's theologically correct to say this. Therefore, he is telling you that the last days will be characterized by times that are hard, troublesome for you, or dangerous, difficult for, to, for you to cope with, harsh, fierce, and savage to you, to you personally. Now, as a counselor, I can tell you the stress level that most Christians are carrying that are actually in the fight is more than what I've ever seen in my whole ministry, currently today, the stress levels. The anxiety levels are off the chart. The depression is off the chart. And Christians are having a very difficult time coping with the situations that are going on. And unfortunately, the churches haven't done them a, a service. The churches have done a disservice to them because the churches for the last 20, 30, 40 years have been more worried about head counts and their money's coming in the coffer than they have been about edifying the body of Christ. So the unpaid bills of the church trying to get bigger and better and be mega churches has created a, a, a tragic situation in the church where the church does not possess the spiritual abilities to cope well. People are losing a thread. And I'm talking about Christians. So that's you know, part of the apostasy, but this is part of the Laodicean element in the fact that many in the Laodicean element are so stressed out, so anxiety-ridden, so, so filled with as fear is that they have become useless. They can't operate. They actually don't know what to do. Like for everything. I mean, there's situations where you're going to run into it and we don't know what to do. I, I, I deal with those all the time. We pray, we ask for wisdom, and then God, God shows. But I'm talking about basic life. They don't know what to do now. They are clueless. And that's the, 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 the sign point for Laodicea. Laodicea is useless to the Lord. Okay? When he says you're neither cold nor hot, hot being therapeutic in nature and that, coming from Hierapolis for Laodicea, the, the warm uh, therapeutic um, mineral water, or cold coming from uh, the mountainous region where the snow caps were, flowing down to Laodicea, which was cool, refreshing, clean water to drink. And the, both, both waters were good. But when they came together and they mixed, you got a lukewarm water with a high mineral content. And so it was useless. And if you drank it, you would vomit it out of your mouth. So when Jesus says, uh, I want to vomit you out of my mouth, you're neither cold nor hot. He's not saying you're good or bad. He is saying you're not therapeutic, nor are you like a cold cup of water. You have become useless to me. I can't use you. So this is what happens when hard times come. Hard times simply show what the person's made out of. Now, the hard times will also, if you cooperate with the hard times, develop you and refine you and make you better, more like Christ, if you live by faith, if you submit to what's going on. If you protest to what's going on, you will not grow. You will not. And that's what a lot of people do in Laodicea. They have these troublesome and dangerous, difficult to cope with times, and they refuse to submit to them. 
So they protest it and they agonize against it. If you protest it, you won't get any better. You actually will get worse. So ask yourself, if bad things are happening to you, what's your choice? Just to get balled up and mad and angry and protest? How is that going to make it any better? That actually makes the situation worse. Versus, well, let me do it God's way and submit to what's happening and watch God work. Which is better? You see what I'm saying? What choice do you have? If your choice is, well, I'm just going to get ticked off and angry and protest, great. You've put yourself in a deeper hole now. And you have done it to yourself. So what, what the Bible is trying to say is, look, man, these things are coming. It's predicted. It's here. So your best bet is to cooperate with God on the situation so you can deal with them. So he continues on, the times will come. Okay, they're here, by the way. For men, so here's a general statement about humanity. It's both encapsulating both unbelievers and believers, okay? So no one's immune in this. For men, believers and unbelievers alike, well, what? So notice I, I've color-coded the, the, the words, okay? So this is a set that goes together. They'll be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, okay? So the fundamental aspect that you will see in society from believers and unbelievers is they, they um, do not love the right things. They love that which is improper, okay? Love does not mean you get to love anything you want. Freedom does not mean you get to do anything you want to do. Okay, so God determines what are the boundaries of freedom and God determines the boundaries of what love is and he defines it. God is love. And then what he says about how to ex execute love is clearly defined. So what's happening to people today is they have become lovers of themselves. Narcissists is really the word that Paul it, it would, would use with our modern day vernacular. They're narcissists. The problem with narcissism is it absolutely blinds you because the person's in love with themselves. They are number one, and there is nothing else that exists other than them and getting their needs and feelings met, which is a, is basically codifies most of the younger generation in the United States have actually been trained to be narcissists, okay? And the, the schools did a very good job of tra tra treating them and training them to be narcissists, and the colleges and universities did the same thing. Now, I don't want to go into narcissism because there's a whole big thing about that, but you, uh, I'm just going to take it as you, you understand the fundamental ideas about narcissism. Narcissism comes from uh, entitlement mentality. Um, they come from a victim mentality. They feel like they're owed something. They come from a prideful attitude because they think they're special, even though they have not achieved anything. And so it's this inflated view of self and that they have to be number one. Now, here's what's happened. With social media, actually social media has caused the major catastrophe in our society in creating narcissism because it makes people feel that they need to be liked, they need to be seen, and if they're not liked or seen, then they feel bad about themselves. So it's actually turning our younger generation into a bunch of raging narcissists the social media is. It's also causing depression. 
Most of the kids that are on social media, they won't tell you, but they're, on de- they're, de- they're depressed. You know why? Because he's the best of life from other people. Because people are narcissistic, and so they only show the best of their life, not the worst of their life. So all you see on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever the, the social media is, is the best of people's lives. You don't see the worst. And so what happens with younger people that can't process that correctly because their minds are not developed until they're 25 is they go on tilt. They think all the world's like that. And so they too become a narcissist because they think that's the way to act is to show themselves in the best light. Um, and really it's fake. It's not true because true relationships means that I accept you and you accept me based on the good and bad in me. There's going to be times where I show my ugliness and there's going to be times where I show good. And the same goes vice versa. That's the basis of relationship, but not on social media. The basis of relationship on social media is I have to show you my best. I cannot show you any negative. And so that creates in the person a narcissistic attitude because that's all they can project is the best. Narcissus fell in love with himself and he couldn't stop looking at himself. That's what social media is. The kids can't stop looking at themselves through the social media platforms. So it's caused a major problem. So when it says that they will be lovers of themselves, that's what we're talking about. They don't think about anyone else. They don't think about the ramifications that are going on at all. They don't understand how their life impacts others because it's all about them. And then they grow up and they're adults. And now we have these raging, wounded narcissist adults in our society voting, making decisions, and running for office. And what do you get? You get a Gavin Newsom who's a complete narcissist, right? He's a narcissist. Most of his politicians are narcissists. Okay, the other thing that they do is they start loving money. Now, this comes from a materialistic background. This is what secularism did to America. Secularism changed America in in changing our ideas about wealth and affluence and changing that into a God and replacing the God of the Bible with the God of materialism. That's really what it is. So people have fallen in love with wealth. And that's a common trait around the world, okay? You can be rich or poor and still love wealth. And the funny thing about it is I can see some of the poorest people but yet they will have some of the most expensive items running around with them. I mean, a guy pulls up to Walmart, he can barely get dressed, he's dressed in pajamas, and he drives up uh, running a Cadillac Escalade with spinners on on the rims. Right? And then he comes out, his wife's wearing a Gucci handbag, he's all decked out in Louis Vuitton, and they're going to Walmart. And he doesn't work. How's that happening? Right? You see that. I see that too. But the problem is people have fallen in love with wealth. So they have to portray it even though they don't have it. And this portraying is going to crush people when the economic collapse happens. This love of money, God's going to break the love of money pretty easy in America. You just won't have it if he breaks the system, if he allows the system to be broke. And all indications project that we're going to have an economic collapse at some point in time. Okay, so that's what loving money is. It's it's just uh, uh, the God of money. Now, he says, many of them will be boasters, proud, and blasphemers. These sins go together. 
What it is is the narcissism in them, the self-love, the deification of themselves makes them this way. And again, I don't have to go any further than the social media platform as people boast on uh, social media platforms about themselves. I mean, just look at NBA players, look at NFL players, uh, Major League Baseball players, soccer players, whatever. All they do is boast. It's all they do. None of them are hardly even humble. There's a handful that are, but most of them, all they do is boast. LeBron James, all he does is boast, right? He, he's a punk. He's, no, he's, he's a bragger he, because he's prideful. He's a boaster. And pride goes in with this, and they, and they, become, they become so prideful that they'll actually blaspheme the God of heaven. Now, how do they do this? They blaspheme his ways. They say, if they say there's more than two genders, that's a blasphemy because God says, no, there's only two. That's blasphemy because you're actually confronting God on that. You know, when you, when you say that the universe leapt into existence through evolution, that's blasphemy because he's saying, I'm the creator. It's pride, it's arrogance. When, when Yuval Noah Harari in the World Economic Forum says the new gods are going to come from Silicon Valley, it's blasphemy. When John Kerry, like I said on Sunday, says we are a group of extraterrestrials, remember that? He's blaspheming because he thinks he's godlike. That's blasphemy. That's proud. Let's continue on. Look at it. So this is the grouping, as you can see in the green, that goes together. Okay? So if you have unnatural affections... The love, the love is misguided. It creates, obviously, pride in the person. And then that pride leads to very unholy living. Okay? It's people doing what they want to do now because they're a god. And, and they're, they're so willing to be, call themselves a god, they blast him. So here's where their lifestyle goes. Their disobedience to parents. It's the first thing. Okay? Most of the parents I talk to have problems with their children. In this area, more than normal. And the reason it's predicted to be norm, more than normal is because of what's going on in society at the time. What's right now occurring is the attack on God's authority is happening from our culture. Okay? It's the authority of, of the Creator of how he designed things, how he created things. Okay, so when you see the disobedience to parents, that's a telltale sign that the culture and the church is not accepting God's authority anymore. And it starts with the first, the first sign is what's going on in the home. So it's a spiritual issue, okay? But then you have to go into further, deep, uh, deeper in this and disobedience to parents. What it means is that's a sign that will happen in the, in the nuclear family. But it also shows that this will be the general idea that's practiced in all of society and as these people grow up as an adult. They hate authority, proper biblical authority. They absolutely hate it. And they will do everything to undermine it. Now, this goes down to just the general work conditions. People will not submit to their bosses anymore. They want to work their way. You talk to some of these kids that work at Starbucks, these managers at Starbucks, and they say, we can't really get kids to work more than four hours. And they, and, they, and they pitch a fit if they have to work more than four hours. They think working four hours is a full day. 
But again, it's how they want it. They go work for a regular company. The first question out of their mouth to the boss is, how much vacation time do I get in sick leave I have? It's the first thing out of their mouth. Because at the end of the day, it's about authority. They have problems with authority. Now, as believers, what happens? Believers start having problems with authority too. And the problem is they will gravitate to churches that have no authority. Now, they won't tell you that. It will be hard to see, but it's there. And typically, if the woman's running the show of the house, she won't like proper male authority. Because when she sees proper male authority, she revolts against it. She likes passive men because that's what she married. And if the pastor's not passive, they don't like the pastor. So they will go to a church where you will find a Casper Milk Toast church uh, pastor. They will. They will. The pastor will be feminine in nature. He'll come off as soft. He'll come off as gentle. But really what it's about is the pastor fits the mold of the rebellion going inside the wife. That's what's happening. And it happens all the time, guys. All the time. You know what the, the predominant people that leave our church, who initiates it? The wife. And, and the man will be sitting there, passive, not say a word. It happens all the time. I see it all the time. And they can't pinpoint it on theology, so they have to, you know, make it personal. But I really know what's going on, and, and so do we as a staff. We know what's going on. We can see the household. It's upside down. The woman's in charge. The man is not. And she doesn't like strong leadership. And at the end of the day, all of our leaders are strong. All of them are leading properly. And that's scary to someone who won't submit to authority. That's what happens. Okay? So that you'll see this authority issue in the church. They're unthankful. So, be, so when you don't like authority, it naturally leads to ingratitude. Okay? You'll be in gratitude towards anything that God gives you or sets up in your life. Like the family structure that he sets up in your life. You'll be ungrateful for it as a child. Then you go up and here's this, the, the, the authority structure he sets up in your life and you will not like it. You will be in, you'll have ingratitude towards how he has designed your setup, your authority structure. Because that's what he does. He's a God of order. So then if you're unthankful about what he has done for you, then it will lead to being unholy. Everything sets everything off. So in holiness as well, I don't, I'm, uh, I am, I don't like and appreciate what I have. So I'm just going to do anything I want to do, morally speaking. And I'm actually going to commit immoral acts. And on top of that, that unholiness that I go after, then it will evidence in being very unloving towards other people. Uh, I will be unforgiving towards other people. I'll be a slanderer. I'll make things up about people and say it. I won't have any self-control. I'll be brutal in the fact that I can be set off in an instant because I carry around a lot of rage and anger. And I despise anything good that's going on. In fact, I will rail against that which is good. I will say that good is evil and evil is good. 
So that package goes together. Then he moves on to the yellow, as you can see, and he says, then what will happen is you'll see traitors among your midst. And the traitors will betray you. They're the kind of people that will sell you out. They're the kind of people that will call you names for not doing what the government tells you to do. And you will have traitors in your midst, not only in your country, but even in your own church. You'll have traitors that won't back you up. The trait that goes along with traitors is they're headstrong and haughty, which means they're stubborn and they're prideful at the same time. And what really happens with traitors, you can't tell them anything. They're so stubborn, they won't accept truth anymore. And so because they won't do that, they'll betray you. You move to the red. Now we go back to the same thread that was before, unnatural affections, mispriorities on love, loving that which you shouldn't love. There'll be lovers of pleasure. That's hedonism, okay? That's most of our culture, is they live for pleasure. It's hedonistic. They don't live for sacrifice. They won't sacrifice. They live for the here and now, for pleasure now, okay? And then, rather than lovers of God, because they don't love God, they just love having a good time. It's Solomon's eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Is that the mentality? I'm going to live life now, and I don't care about the future repercussions of how I'm living. And that goes in line with um, the biblical format, which means you need to plan for your future. You need to do things that set the groundwork for your future. You need to uh, plan for your future. That's how God wants you to live, and that you sacrifice now so you can reap the blessings later. That's the biblical mandate. That's what we're all called to do. This reverses the biblical mandate and says, don't sacrifice at all. Live for the day and get what you want now. It's very hedonistic, but that's called a lover of pleasure. Then notice in verse five, we go back to the text, having a form of godliness benign its power. Now what will happen in this, you can see this not only in the outward, but the inward of, uh, uh, inside the church, is that people will pretend to be spiritual. And we have a lot of people now, statistically speaking, that don't identify as Christian, but identified as religious, and they identify with their own made-up spirituality. Wokeism is a made-up spirituality. But um, what they'll do is dawn the outward appearance of religiosity, but there's no power coming from it. In fact, they deny the power of true religion. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that first. Let's, let's talk about where you get the true power of godliness. You get the true power of godliness by the Holy Spirit's power revealing to you through the scriptures how to live. Okay, so the power is found through the Holy Spirit through the scriptures that transforms you to be more like Christ. That's where the power is, the word of God and the Holy Spirit, okay? That's true spirituality. That's how you grow at the, in a nutshell. So what they do, since they don't have the Holy Spirit and they don't accept the authority of the word of God, what can they do? Well, they can only dawn religiosity to pretend that they have power. And this is why you will see uh, lesbian or gay pastors wearing the robes like a Catholic priest. Have you noticed that? Then the, the things I show you, 
Uh, they're always donning religious wear. I don't don the religious wear. You know why? Because I know where the power is at. I don't need to have religious clothes on. They do because they deny the power. So what you'll find, even like in the drag queen uh, churches, they'll don religious wear, like a, like a Presbyterian or a Methodist or a uh, Catholic or a Lutheran. They'll put those kinds of clothes on and they'll even wear a collar. Have you noticed that? They'll even wear a collar and they're not Lutheran or Catholic or anything, but they'll wear it. That's the form of, of, of godliness, but has no power behind it. And so um, we're seeing that today. And he says, that's what they'll, they'll do. So here he continues on. And from such people turn away. Now, let that sink in. If you can identify those types of people that you're around, I can already tell you what Scripture is telling you to do. Get away from them. That's not doesn't go over well. Because what if this is my family? What are these my friends? How am I going to get away from them? I don't know, but how are you going to obey that one? You see what starts happening here? The way to prepare for the perilous times is you need to know who to hang out with and not to hang out with anymore. You need to separate yourself from the ungodly, even if that means Christians pretending to be Christians. You have to separate. That's what Paul is trying to tell you. And so, you know, last week I was in Minnesota talking about, uh, you know, demons and fallen angels harassing people. And, you know, uh, Jan and I are going back and forth uh, in emails uh, with the responses that we've gotten. Number one response. This is going on, but they're family members. What do I do? Right? And I gave Jan a response to give them. And I said, they need to practice 1 Corinthians 5. Unless they want demon harassment. If demon, demon, demonization is happening to a family member, like a sister or a brother, and, you know, boy, every time we go over there for dinner, something follows us back and starts harassing us and whatever, which is a common occurrence with people, then what, else, what other choice do you have? You have to cut it off until the person stops doing the demonic or occultic activity that they're in, right? If they say, I'm a witch and I'm a practicing witch, okay, I, I really I don't want to do anything with you at this point. Even though I'm related to you, I have to separate myself because this is what it's calling me to do. Unless you want the demonic harassment, which I don't think many people do, but that's the answer. So Paul is saying, look, man, if you can identify this type of individual, you stay away from them. You stay away from them, and why? Because bad corrupt company corrupts good character. You know that about your kids. The kids your, ha- your kids hang out with, they will become like. Because it always works that way. Bad company corrupts good character. So you always have to find good people to hang around with, good people for your kids to hang around with, and whatnot. So he says, for such people turn away. Why? Why do I need to get away? Because this kind of people does something. They're not just passive. They're active. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Whoa. What is this? What is he talking about? 
Well, first of all, these people target women. And there's a reason they target them. And this is not a, you know, Paul being misogynistic. This is Paul knowing the nature of humans and men and women. Okay? So Paul says the first thing they go after is women. Who is the first, what, what, what person in the Garden of Eden did Satan go after first? Eve. Okay, there's a pattern here, as you can see. So these types of people go after women first. That's their target, not men. And notice the type of women they go after. Gullible women. Loaded down with sins. And what is this about? Gullible, obviously, is naive. They don't understand what's happening to them. They don't understand that these people are going after them. And so it's a naivety, particularly among Christian women. It's what it's saying. Okay? The false teachers and false prophets make their living off of women. Do you understand that? They're the ones who buy these guys' books. They're the ones that go to these conferences. And they're the ones that drag their husbands into it. It's typically the women because they can't figure out the situation in the home because the house is upside down, the man is not in charge, the woman is, and she then becomes the one that's targeted. And because she's gullible, which means not only does she not understand things that are commonsensical and and not see when deception is happening, they further don't know the scriptures very well either. Because the woman is loaded down with sins. What do you mean? The woman is guilty. The woman uh, has a guilt-ridden past, and she doesn't know how to overcome her guilt for what she has done. She doesn't understand the freedom in Christ. She's never been taught the freedom of Christ. So the woman lives in shame and guilt. So that this kind of person comes and offers the woman an ability to get out of the shame and guilt with a shortcut instead of processing their stuff biblically through truth. And the shortcut will be, you can be spiritual without, without dealing with your mess. You can be spiritual without offloading your baggage. And so they teach them, you know, hyper-charismatic things, you know, uh, spiritual gifting and all kinds of, I'm not against spiritual gifting, but they'll just make up crazy stuff for them, right? And they say, you know, you're a superwoman, and this is what God's going to do. You're a prophetess or whatever, and that builds the woman up. But the problem is she's not prepared spiritually for anything like that because she's gullible, and she's, she's loaded down with guilt. And notice what else it says about these. They're, they're led away by various lusts. Their desires are for different things rather than Jesus. And that's what the, the, the false teacher and the false prophet appealed to. They appealed in knowing that most of these types of women do not prioritize Jesus, but prioritize spirituality instead. They don't build on the foundation of the Messiah. They build on their own foundation. Hence, this is why I simply have no recommendations of female authors I can recommend to you. Because every time we look at one, a book or something done by a female, it's off theologically. And you can call me a misogynist or whatever you want. 
but I have not yet went through one female book written by a female that doesn't have major theological errors in the book. Beth Moore, you know she's a false teacher now. I hope everyone knows that. Okay, Joyce Myers, Paula White. You just keep going down the list. These people, are the, they, they got loaded down with all of this. And look what it says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So they think by their spiritual dynamo that they are spiritually progressing. But in fact, they're not going anywhere. They haven't went anywhere because they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They never accept the truth about themselves and what the word of God says to them. So they make up their own reality and they go off in it and they think they're spiritual. And that's the problem. And they lead other women astray. So, again, the target then, ladies, is you. You're the first target in perilous times. Now, I want you to let that sink in because here's the deal. If you're not where you need to be spiritually and your house is upside down, you will be led astray to take your whole house with you in that deception. And that's the danger that's happening right now. So guys, you need to start leading spiritually right now to prepare for what's coming. Because if you don't step up and you continue to let your, life, your wife lead spiritually, this is how they're going to attack you. They're gonna attack your wife, deceive her and take her off into Neverland. Guaranteed. So it's a warning that Paul has given us to all of us, men included. It's time to step up your game. You are the spiritual head. You make the spiritual decisions. Can you allow your wife to help you make the decisions? Of course you can. But at the end of the day, it's on your shoulders, not them. And if you're badgered, guys, into doing something you know you shouldn't be doing spiritually, you need to stop it. You need to stop it right now. Because too many guys are weak and will bend to the emotions of their wife and make stupid, irrational decisions for the whole family. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it. I'm watching it happen right in front of my very eyes and I can't stop it because the house is always upside down. So this is why Paul mentions this. He continues on. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, these people that are going after women, okay? Men of corrupt minds, these are the kinds of people that, that go after the women, disapproved concerning the faith. Now, disapproved doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're unsaved. It's one thing to be accepted and rejected by God. Acceptance comes on the basis of salvation, right? Okay, you're accepted because you have faith. The only reason you're rejected is because you reject him first. So when, the term, when, the, the, when Paul or any of the biblical writers use approve or disapprove, it, it, it can include believers. Because even though we're accepted, we can be disapproved with the lifestyle we're living. Okay? And so in this sense, he's including that this disapproval of these types of individuals in the church might be believers that are actually doing this. They're apostate, 
but they're believers doing this to people, doing this particularly to women like Janice and Jambers who resisted Moses. So, but they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. So God is basically revealing them. And if you don't see them, then you're part of the problem is what he's trying to say. If you can see them, great. That's what he's saying. They won't have any effect on you if you know who they are. And that's what we're saying. Okay, let's continue. He goes, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. Number one, that's how to be prepared. Manner of life, two. Purpose, three. Faith, four. Long-suffering, five. Six, love. Seven, perseverance. Eight, persecutions. Nine, afflictions. Did you catch all of that? That's how to be prepared for what's coming. There's nine of them. And we're going to go through all nine. Okay? Each one by its own self. Afflictions is the last one. He goes, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. And then he, he, he just shouts out, so to speak, in the, in the text, what persecutions I have endured. Because he have endured it all. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Ah, there's our key. If Timothy will follow the apostle Paul and what Paul is saying, then Timothy also will be able to be delivered out of the trials he's facing. And the same thing is true to us. With the tsunami of issues that are coming our way, the only way you're going to survive is to do what the apostle Paul said in how to suffer through these persecutions, so that you can be delivered through them. Now, let me ask you this about deliverance. Was Paul beat? Okay. Shipwrecked. Bit by a snake, right? Yes. Left for dead, he says, right? So does deliverance mean you're immune from pain? No. But you will be delivered. Okay, so I want you to see that difference. Deliverance doesn't mean you're going to go through your trials without any pain. What you should do is what he's saying, the, the, the things that happened to him at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Ephesus, all these other places that he was beaten, all kinds of junk. He's still saying, I was delivered through them all. So what you have to get out of your head is that you're going to go through a time and, not, and, and become unscathed. You will be delivered if you live by faith, but you will get hurt along the way. It will leave scars on you. It will leave bruises on you. You will be affected. And that's the reality you first have to accept. You will be affected, but you can be delivered. You can make it through. And he goes off, and now he gives a general principle. And yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's why he was persecuted, and that's why you and I will be persecuted. If you continue wanting to live a righteous life, a holy life, a blameless life, a truthful life, what's coming our way is going to hate you for that. They're absolutely going to hate you and persecute you because of that, because you want to live godly. And you you explain to people what godliness is. So the promise is right there. All who want to live godly 
will suffer persecution. So what you're going to see in the church is the separation will happen in the church when this occurs. And what will happen is those who don't want to live godly will compromise. They'll go along with the flow, which many churches are doing now. Those who want to stand for righteousness' sake, you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And that's what he's saying. Look what he says here. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. It's not going to get any better. I mean, this is not a Joel Osteen thing, right? I mean, this is, this is uh, Paul saying, I'm telling you, it's going to get worse and worse. Oh, Brandon, you're just, you know, Mr. Negative. I'm not saying it. Paul is. It's going to get worse and worse for you and your family. Deceiving and being deceived is going to go. You won't know who's telling the truth anymore. You won't know. Unless you know the Bible. It's so, it'll be so bad out there. You will see people that, that look like they're committing a crime, but it was all done visually. You will hear people and you think that's their voice and it's not their voice. It's digital. You will see deep fakes all over the place. You will see 95% of the information that's coming out fake, controlled by Google, YouTube, everything else. You won't know what to believe unless you know the word of God. So you're going to be, it's going to be a major deception. But you must continue in these things. Look at the word must. Not an option. If you're going to be delivered out of this, you must continue in these things, which you have learned and assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. His grandma, his mom, and Paul. Okay, you had a question. Go ahead, Ty. Yeah, we have an online question. What if you asked your husband to take the lead in the house spiritually and he still won't and he isn't saved? Is there anything a woman can do to protect her house? Yes. Uh, first of all, uh, since there's one believer, it sanctifies the whole house. Though the, the children are protected by the one believer. So that's, that's not a worry. Second thing is, like I've mentioned before, if you have a husband that's an unbeliever, won't take spiritual lead, or even a believer that won't take spiritual lead, then their next step is to go up the level of authority. And the next level of authority is the church. So that woman, or even if it was a single woman, our admonishment to her would be, if, if you don't have a male, a spiritual male in your life, that's you know, like your dad or someone like that, then you go to the elders of the church, and that would be your next line of a spiritual authority to help you make decisions. That's how you work up the, ch- the ladder of authority. That's how God has ordered and structured things. Good question. Anything else? Okay. <clears throat> And that from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Again, talking about his upbringing, right? Which are able to make you wise. There it is, the wisdom. So the Scriptures, they teach you content. They, they, um, you know, they teach you theology. They teach you all these things. But one of the things Paul is addressing here and pulling out in line with dealing with persecution and hard times coming, perilous times, he's saying the one thing you're going to need is wisdom in all of this. The scriptures can make you this, but what is wise? The appropriate application of biblical knowledge. So it, 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 it assumes that you have the content, okay? If you have the content, then 
you can be wise. Now let's talk about being wise. Let's parse that out. Wise includes the skill of handling the word of God. Not just reading the word of God, but knowing how to use it, how to handle it, how to apply it to all different situations. Second, wisdom gives you insight into life from God's perspective. So when you see situations happening, you already know the ways of God for that situation. You can read it and apply what's happening there. Got a question? Yeah, sorry about that, Pastor. Good. I need to, it's funny because you're here telling me to understand the word and, and I need to go backwards for a second. Yeah. Because in my mind, when you're talking about deliverance, I'm, talk, I'm looking at like being saved. I'm looking at being brought up out of the trouble that I'm in. But, but it, when you look at Paul's life, he wasn't shipwrecked one time, like six times, right? And Thrown off a cliff. Of and so my point is, is that it, when you're going from one trouble to another trouble to another trouble to another trouble, but yet we're talking about being delivered. Where is the deliverance in trouble after trouble after trouble after trouble? I don't, I don't understand that. So every time Paul went through a trial, he was delivered. How so? What does deliverance mean? He was beat, snake bit, the whole nine yards. Okay, Physically, he was abused. But what does he mean that he was delivered? He survived. So here's the thing. The really question is, do you want to survive what's coming? That's what deliverance means. And can you, every time Paul was beat, he got back up and he continued to fulfill his mission. Nothing stopped him. So that's the question about deliverance. Can you get up? And if you can keep getting up and then go around the corner and get beat again and still keep getting up, that's what Paul is talking about. It is not, I'm free from this. Yes, ultimately the rapture is going to deliver us. That's not what I'm talking about. He's saying perilous times are come. And if you want to be delivered and pick yourself up and keep fighting, there's, there's something in you that has to change. And if it doesn't change, you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to pick yourself up on the mat. You're going to get beat down, and that's where you will stay. And then he's won. Paul. Pastor, Pastor uh, when I was growing up, my mother used to say, son, you got to know that you know that you know that you know. Yeah. I thought she was nuts until I got saved. <laughs> and I realized you got to know that you know. Yeah. And uh, my question is, as Christians... How we react to the world and what's coming towards us is going to be the... Could you expound on how our reactions to... Yeah. It's so important to our, as our witness, yeah. as our faith, as, as everything. So the reaction then of wisdom is, okay, you have to see the world as God sees it. And how do you know that? You have to know his ways. You have to know his plan. And so, for instance, if you're seeing them go to a digital currency. You see them going to green, okay? You know that's fulfillment of prophecy, don't you, right? You see, you're seeing the setup of things happening that will, will happen in the future. 
So your interpretation can't be, I can't believe all these bad things are happening. Isn't God in, not, not in control? Or what is this? There must not be a God if all these bad things are happening. And it's like, you fool. If you knew the plan of God, you would know exactly why this is happening. You would know. You would know that humans have turned their back on God. You would know the nation has turned its back on God. You, have, you would know that we've been infiltrated by evil people. You would know all that. And that tailors how your reaction to it is. So what can you do? So if you're going to get balled up and say, well, you know, I, I, I doubt that there's a good God because all these evil things are happening. Well, it's like, well, wait a second. These evil things are happening because he's permitting it for the tribulation. But if you don't know that, I can tell you what your reaction is going to be. You're going to be angry, bitter, mad at God, disgusted. Uh, and, and then you're just going to become a God unto yourself and take matters into your own hands. There's, there's no trust when you don't see things from God's standpoint. You will just start to do things on your own. And that's, that's the reaction, Paul, that, that you don't want to get into doing. If this is according to God's plan, then what is my appropriate reaction? Well, I already know what my action is. I need to keep doing what I'm called to do. It never stops. So if you get beat down, what's the call? Has your call changed? So God's going to look at you and say, are you going to get up? You're going to get up. We'll do this all day long. But what have I called you to do? And you're going to be laid out like this. I can't do it anymore. I can't take it. I can't take it. And he says, yes, you can. So get up. Are you going to get up? And that's what it is. That's what deliverance is. That you survive the beatings. And you're strong enough internally to say, I don't care how hard I'm hit. I'll get back up because the devil ain't going to stop me. If I have to uh, uh, charge hell, I'll do it with a squirt gun. Because nothing's going to stop me. So can you have that picture in your mind that you're going to charge hell with a squirt gun? Well, good. That's what you do. Right? It doesn't matter, right? Do whatever you want. And so that's Paul's attitude. Paul was a, um, he's a hero, man. That dude was tough spiritually, man. Nothing stopped him. The only thing that stopped him is when they executed and cut his head off. That's when he couldn't do anything anymore. Wow. It's going to take them doing that to stop you? Yeah, Paul, that's Paul. So if that makes sense, it's survivability. Are you going to survive? If you are, great. Here's how to survive. So you get insight into life from God's perspective. That's what wisdom does, understanding from his plan and purpose and his ways. That's what Moses wanted to know. He didn't just want to know about God. He wanted to know about God's ways. Wisdom brings biblical principles in dealing with theological problems and practical problems. Because you're going to run into theological problems and ethical problems. And your theology is going to have to tell you how to apply that theology to the ethical problem. Whatever that ethical problem is. Now, an easy one is the ethical problems of uh, um, you know, growing babies in labs. Right? And the ethical problems of tampering with DNA right? And creating monsters and all that. You already know where you're going to line up at, right? Okay. Where are you going to line up at when they can actually put things in your ears, earbuds, 
and they can tell what you're thinking. Where's the ethical line there? Would you wear them? But what if the, the, the boss says, if you don't wear them, you're fired. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. Because they're already doing that. Yeah, go ahead. I have a uh, follow-up question to this uh, online question. It says, what if the woman with no spiritual head in the home, a lost husband, but she can't find a good church? Let's just keep going up the hierarchy then. Then uh, my suggestion is that she would find a ministry out there that she, could, that she can trust and talk to them, like Rock Harbor. So, so if she needs advice and needs help, call Rock Harbor. One of our pastors will, will help you. Just keep going up the chain. Yeah. Michael. Um, so I know you said you're going to go over the nine things probably another time, but I was going to say. Are, Not tonight, in, uh, in depth. Right? Yeah. I was going to say, but uh, in a sense, wouldn't that necessarily, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a list of progression. So it's, it's something that will ultimately help you going through all the persecutions, right? I mean. That and, the list is a progression? Yeah. In, in some sense, yes, but in other sense, no, because like we're going to start with faith. That's the foundation of things. Um, and what you have to realize is all those things that, that Paul said all work together. So you've got to know all of them at the same time to operate properly to survive. And, um, and so it's kind of like um, you can't just learn one thing. You have to learn them all and be able to apply them because they all will intersect. And so faith and afflictions and, and stuff like that will all intersect. So we'll, 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 we'll do that for you in the days ahead, but I'm just introducing this to you right now. Any other questions? Okay, let's take a break and uh, we'll come back next week to this and then we'll do uh, current events afterwards, okay? Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.